From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. Welcome to summer in our part of the world, and welcome back to the Cannabis Podcast. This is episode 48, and I got a bunch of cannabis information for you over the next 30 minutes or so. If this is your first time joining us, thanks for coming along for the ride. Today, we're going to talk about, do you think? Is it possible? Could cannabis prices be heading down? Well, I don't know. We'll see a pricing stunt that the OCS did. We'll talk about that. I thought it was also time to take another look at a terpene. I think one we haven't covered before, although sometimes it's difficult for me to remember everything we've covered on the cannabis podcast. <laughs> I could go back and look at all of the information, uh, check it episode by episode, but you know what? That's a lot of work. And I'm a little high, so I don't want to take that much effort. Humulene is the terpene we are going to talk about today. We might have talked about it before, but we're going to take another look at it. And how about the history of hybrids? Where did today's marijuana come from? Because the phrase we often hear is there really is no sativa or indica anymore. Everything at some point is a hybrid. How do we get to this point? So we're going to touch a story on that. On Cultivar Corner, we're going to take a look at a $20 eighth. Not bad. $20 for an eighth. This is from Caliber, and it's called Lemon Z, a sativa. And interestingly enough, its THC is just over 10%. So that will be coming up on Cultivar Corner. And a few shout-outs to a few people who have joined the podcast recently and just want to acknowledge that I'm glad you're here for the ride. That and more is coming your way on episode 48 of the Cannabis Podcast. And before we dive much further, I want to acknowledge a few people who have recently joined the audience for the Cannabis Podcast. I'm always excited and thrilled to hear that somebody is listening. I mean, when I started, when I launched this podcast, I kind of said to myself, hey, if five people around the world have any interest in this show, I'll keep doing it. There's been a few more of you than that, and I've been thrilled with that. And it always is fun to hear that somebody else has joined the party. Let me start out with a shout out to Joel. I work with Joel's girlfriend, Sydney. So, hey to Sydney, too, just in case. And uh, Joel has joined the family and been an eager listener of the podcast, as I understand. Thanks for coming along for the ride, Joel. Also, Jordan, who I work with, thanks for coming along for the ride. He's been checking out the occasional episode, at least. Nobody is required to listen to every episode, of course. Well, except I guess I am. <laughs> and also to a, a customer who's become a fairly frequent customer where I work and uh, known him for a while now, Luke. So cheers, Luke. Thanks for being along for the ride as well. And this was pretty thrilling for me. I got the email just last night and it was from my first email from a listener of the Cannabis Podcast from Brazil. And I was pretty stoked about that. So hey to Gabriel, who contacted me from Brazil. Uh, quite a long email with lots of detail. And I'll dive into a bit of that. Even had some suggestions perhaps on somebody I may be able to interview. I'll see if I can pursue that. So as always, thanks for coming along for the ride. I am thrilled that you're here and, and happy that you're finding some of the information that I'm putting out worthwhile and you're enjoying continuing your cannabis education just like I am. And I pledge to you to keep, keep doing this. As long as you're out there listening, I'm going to keep digging up stuff about cannabis and keep talking about it. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This 
is the Cannabis Podcast. It's always fun for me when the motivation and the stories for the do putting this together come just as I'm doing shit. <laughs> I was out on the golf course today. I had to wait at a couple of holes because it was fairly slow. There was a lot of people out and I had a bit of wait time and a couple of the tee boxes. And in that time, I pulled out the phone and checked Twitter to see what's up. And up popped this story that I thought, oh, I've absolutely got to talk about that. So this was posted by somebody that I follow on Twitter, at What's My Pot. I put a link to the tweet so you can take a peek at it yourself. You'll find that back at CannabisPodcast.com, where you'll find always all the links to the episodes. So this was a story, or rather just a picture. Clearly, they're trying to clear some stock, is what this is all about from what I can see. Because are you ready? Pure Sun Farm Indica Blend, 28 grams. $65. In case you didn't pick that up, 28 grams, an ounce, $65. Also from Original Stash, the 130, they're 28 grams, $77. Same thing with Original Stash's 110 version, 28 grams, $77. <laughs> now those were at the uh, Tokyo Smoke at Bloor & Young. That's where those prices came from today. Do you think they're trying to clear some stock out? <laughs> As I tweeted back, it's clearly, it looks to me like it's a loss leader. They probably haven't sold a lot of the ounces and decided it's time to move some of them. So the price comes way down. But in my response, I also said, it sure is nice to see those prices. Could this be somewhere where we're going? I mean, no, we have ounces probably at about 120 bucks. We have, well, I guess ounces from 120, probably up to $149 depending on various strains. Do we think that we're going to get down into that sub 100 ounce level? Heard another interesting discussion that I thought put things into a pretty good perspective. And that is with all of the various cannabis retailers, let's focus right here on BC, for example, where everybody has spent all of these huge amounts of money in preparation for opening a store and keeping that ready to open while they wait for their license all of the costs that are associated to that has obviously put a pretty big overhead on some of these stores. And the conversation I heard was, wouldn't it be nice if after a year or two, after all of these stores have paid back all their investors, you know, all of that's been put to the wayside, wouldn't it be nice if we actually saw the prices come down to what they reasonably could if those investments had been paid off? And I thought, that's a brilliant idea. I hope more people think about that. And we kind of tweak people's brains into that. I get it. There has been a lot of investment in opening up these stores. And so therefore, for some of the product, they got to have, you know, the prices that are going to get them a good return. But I still understand as well that they could be selling it for less and could be giving us day-to-day -day cannabis smokers a bit of a break. But hopefully that will come at some point in the future. So that was an interesting article, again, on price from uh, at What's My Pot. Follow them on Twitter if you want to get more information like that. And then the other place that I wanted to stop this episode was back at Mr. Stinky's Green Garden. We took a visit there last episode or perhaps a couple of episodes ago. And as I was looking for some information on terpenes, I popped this article on Humulene, the cancer-killing anti-inflammatory terpene, and my thanks to Mr. Stinky's Green Garden for the excellent job on this article. 
And apparently somebody else thinks it's an excellent job, too. Smell that sage with its earthy, woody aroma? Well, it's your olfactory senses perceiving a particular molecule called humulene. This special chemical, sometimes dubbed ahumulene, is one of the 20 major terpenes that may appear in a particular strain of cannabis. It often conveys the smell of beer hops, depending on the other terpenes that are present. That's right. The aroma of craft beer sometimes also permeates a variety of strains of cannabis because it results from the same molecule. If killing cancer wasn't enough, humulene also possesses significant anti-inflammatory properties. It's a helpful treatment for arthritis, bursitis, fibromyalgia, and any condition that benefits from a reduction in systemic inflammation. Research has revealed that humulene is most effective as an anti-inflammatory when combined with BCP, which is beta-caryophylline, another terpene that is sometimes categorized as a cannabinoid. Like the cannabinoid THCV, humulene has also been shown to act as an appetite suppressant and anorectic. In addition, it has been shown to decrease edema formation resulting from histamine injections. Humulene has been used in Chinese medicine for thousands of years for a wide variety of applications. A 2003 study published in the biochemistry journal Planta Medica found humulene to be an anti-cancer agent. The research discovered that humulene helps produce reactive oxygen species, which are chemicals that help destroy cancer cells through apoptosis a process by which cells kill themselves in a pre-programmed death ritual. A 2007 study published in the Journal of Pharmacy and Pharmacology discovered that the terpenes BCP, beta-caryophylline, and humulene work together to kill cancer cells. In simple terms, BCP amplifies the anti-cancer effects of humulene. This is an example of the entourage effect, a theory that explains the interactive dynamics of cannabinoids and terpenes in which they enhance or buffer one another. And of course, the entourage effect, something we have spoken about many, many times on the Cannabis Podcast. Another 2007 study published in the European Journal of Pharmacology illustrated the anti-inflammatory properties of humulene. It found humulene to be as effective as a popular steroidal anti-inflammatory, dexamethasone. A 2009 study published in the British Journal of Pharmacology again examined the anti-inflammatory characteristics of humulene. It found this terpene to be effective against inflammation when consumed either orally or by aerosol. Concluded the researchers, humulene given orally or by aerosol exhibited marked anti-inflammatory properties. So there you go. Another terpene often found in cannabis. And think about it uh, when you're having your next craft beer. And next to it is some cannabis that has some humulene in it as well. The same molecule in both plants, different effects. And another reason why terpenes are such a magical ingredient in our cannabis. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. And on Cultivar Corner today, we are talking about Lemon Z. Lemon Z is from Calabria. It's funny, you know, I'm Canadian. I should pronounce it Lemon Z, <laughs> but I've fallen into the habit. Lemon Z. <laughs> there, okay, I've admitted that. It is from a company called Caliber, and it's available by Alberta Cannabis and Cannabis New Brunswick. It's also available in BC because we just got it. It is Lemon Z Sativa Dominant, and 2018 High Life Cup award-winning cross between the prized Zed Kittles and Las Vegas Lemon Skunk strains. 
These bright green, let's take a peek at that. Bright green and yellow buds. Yeah, I would agree with that. Provide a masterful mix of citrus flavors combined with sweet and spicy undertones. Not a lot of nose in this package. I have to say it was the three and a half. I'm noticing a lot of them now coming with Bovita packs. This came with a 62% Bovita pack inside of it. And not a lot of nose on opening the package. Maybe that will change over time. But in terms of the flower, so the harmonious balance of sativa and indica characteristics produces an uplifted cerebral high that is perfect for daytime events or social gatherings. It is THC dominant. Okay, as opposed to CBD dominant, I suppose. Flavors are tangy and sweet. A hint of spice. I can get a bit of that spice. Aromas, fresh lemon, sour, and citrus. Yeah, they, there's not a lot of citrus in the nose that I'm picking up, but I've got it prepared in a joint and I've got it prepared uh, in a, a vaporizer. Trying out a new vaporizer as well, the CFX Premium, no, the CFX Boundless. Um, my mighty finally gave up the ghost. <laughs> it, it created its last bit of vapor. So I'm giving all, and one day I will take a review of the CFX as well. But I'm, I'm losing track. See, apparently I'm sidetracked already. Lemon Z is what I'm talking about. And let's get back to the specifics of this particular batch. What intrigued me about this was twofold. The price, we're offering it for $20 plus tax, of course, $20 for an eighth. And that's a pretty good bargain point. There's a lot of people who come in hoping for an eighth that low, but many have not hit that so far. And the other intriguing factor of it was it is THC of just 10.6%. Now, that's another discussion that's been ongoing, and I'll probably talk a bit more about that next episode, too. And that is, there was a study just recently completed in Colorado where they determined that <laughs> the difference between THC levels in terms of the recognizable effect was minimal. So all of this, this idea we've all had, and I've been a victim of it, too, those of us with high tolerance get stuck in this mindset that the only thing that's going to satisfy us is higher THC. And I'm finding that's just not true. There are different exceptions to that rule. And I think we need to be a little bit more flexible for ourselves to give ourselves a better opportunity of enjoying the experience and not having to go for those high-priced, really premium-priced, high THC strains that are out there, and they are out there. We have some at 27% now, but they're not $20 eights. <laughs> so here we are with the $20 eights from Caliber Lemon Z. I've got it in a joint and I've got it in the new vaporizer. Let me turn the vaporizer on. So there will be a new sound that you'll uh, learn to recognize that indicates that this is ready, not just the double uh, punch that we heard with the Mighty. So I've got a joint ready. Let me pull out a lighter and let's see what Lemon Z, the sativa dominant from Calor, does at 10.6% THC. And there the CFX Boundless is now ready at my desired temperature. It'll hold that temperature for a bit as I have my first toke off the joint. Again, I'm not picking up a lot of the citrus notes. There's a hint of the spiciness in that. And since the vaporizer is ready, 
Let me see if I can get more flavor that way. Okay, yeah. There is a bit more flavor when uh, going through the vaporizer, which not surprising, of course. We've kind of proven that a number of times. But still, this flavor is really just more of the, the spicy undertones. A little bit of sweetness. I'm not getting a lot of citrus off of either the joint or the vaporizer. I feel like a two-fisted smoker right now. <laughs> joint in the left hand, vaporizer in the right hand. I'm getting confused as to which I should be smoking. <laughs> oh, somebody's excited about that too. Okay, that was off the joint. Hmm. So I think to, to validate the point that I was talking about earlier, that the THC levels is not what drives everything in, in our enjoyment of cannabis. And I think we need to all need to experiment a bit more because here I am, this is a 10.6% THC and a little bit from the joint, a little bit from the vaporizer and I think you can tell that I'm getting a little high just from the mere fact that my speech pattern has changed a little bit. And happy eyes, not quite so much, just a hint, just a hint of that, but definitely cerebral, giving me some little mind energy, a little focus, a little, and then a little disfocus. <laughs> If the two of those can be combined into one uh, common scent or sense. <laughs> okay, now I'm just rambling. I'm just rambling because apparently I, I got high from this lemon Z. And there's never anything wrong with picking up something that you're going to save some money on and still get a decent high out of it. I mean, is it the same as something that, you know, I paid $63 for an eighth for? Probably not. Probably not as as potent. Probably not as hard-hitting as, as that may be. But you know what? On this gorgeous summer afternoon, I'm fine with not quite so hard-hitting. I've got a buzz. I've got a cerebral buzz. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy. And I'm especially happy that I only spent $20 to get happy with that. I think Caliber has done a pretty good thing with their sativa-dominant lemon Z. They also have an indica-dominant one, and I found it a bit amusing, mainly because of my age. Um, I'm not a young man, shall we say. <laughs> I've been around for a while. That's why I know or I have so much experience with cannabis. And I found it amusing when the other strain that Caliber put out this last week was Barry White. Now, Barry White, to me, is a big, deep-based soul singer from the 60s um, who just had that incredible voice. But I've mentioned it to a few people that I work with and have been in the store. And I figure anybody under 40 doesn't really know who Barry White is. So I'm not sure why they called their other stream Barry White, but nonetheless, <laughs> I, sh I, I now see I digress. Clearly another example that the Lemon Z from Caliber did the job it's supposed to. And now let's turn our attention to where our marijuana came from, the history of hybrids, how breeding and selection led 
to modern marijuana. And my thanks to HighTimes.com. This is a story from their site. It's all about how breeding projects and careful selection have led to modern marijuana. This is by Joe Bender of Cannabis Crop Solutions, LLC. Cannabis growers are always searching for the next remarkable strain. The countless flavors and multitude of effects combine to create endless possibilities. In the last 60 years, breeders have capitalized on the diversity of cannabis more than ever before, crossing strains from around the globe. Today, as cannabis laws become more tolerant in North America and elsewhere, breeding is becoming easier than ever before, which is reflected by the number of strains available through seed distributors. As you browse a seed catalog and contemplate which strains to buy, you might ask yourself, where did all these strains come from? The story is complicated for many modern strains, which are often hybrids of hybrids. But the key building blocks of many strains are a relatively few, very important breeding projects and land races. Understanding the history of the modern hybrid has value beyond musing about cannabis lore. Familiarity with strain lineage can help guide seed or clone purchases. Commercial growers and dispensaries benefit from diverse strain collections, which are attractive to customers with various needs. So knowing how to select a wide spectrum of flavors and effects is a useful skill. Growers should also understand the environmental requirements for their strains and which cultural practices might work best for each one. And these factors are heavily influenced by lineage. Furthermore, breeding for strain diversity and quality in the future will require a thoughtful selection and will be benefited by knowledge of strains of the past. There are several distinct types of cannabis. Although taxonomists have often disagreed on how to classify cannabis, suffice it to say that four widely recognized types are sativa, indica, afghanica, and ruderalis. Preeminent ethnobotanist Richard Evans Schultz interestingly noted that although zealous taxonomists are often determined to precisely compartmentalize plants, their plastic nature and adaptive ability to interbreed between seemingly separate genera or species implies that plants are not made to be cataloged and classified, and that in cases like the identification of cannabis, a historical perspective is imperative. Weighing in these considerations, I will delineate cannabis plant types in as useful a way as possible. Sativas grow as tall as 20 feet, have smooth, hollow stems with longer internodes than their counterparts, and produce achenes that are partially exposed. Achenes are the dry fruits of some plants, such as sunflowers, which are commonly called seeds, but are in fact fruits containing a single seed. Sea sativa leaves are relatively large with long, lance-shaped leaflets. Sativa flower clusters are somewhat indeterminate, meaning the plants continue to grow new flowers above the old ones for a lengthy period, with equatorial strains flowering for as long as five months. Although not isolated to the tropics, sativa plants are adapted to warmer latitudes, where day length varies little throughout the year, and warm conditions allow for continual development. Indica plants are shorter in stature than sativas, sometimes growing to 10 feet in height, and have more determinate flowering habit. They have smooth, dense, nearly solid stems, and their leaflets are smaller than sativa or afghanica types. Curiously, C. indica has rather narrow, pointy leaflets. Adapted to a mountainous cold climate and bred for hashish production, afghanica plants are short, stout, and potent, and have nearly solid stems. Afghani marijuana is usually referred to as indica. However, in 1926, Nikolai Vavavlov described afghanica as a distinct type. Following his description, some growers have continued to separate afghanica due to its shorter stature, less than six feet tall, rib stems, 
wider and longer leaflets, characteristically long petioles, denser buds, faster flowering time, and more sedative high than typical indica strains. When most cannabis users refer to indica, they are thinking of plants with Afghani heritage. Bear in mind that while India has cold mountains to the north, it also has tropical climates to the south. This large environmental variation could help explain the morphological differences that create the need to partition Afghanica from Indica. First classified in 1924, Ruderalis plants are believed to have originated in western Russia, western Siberia, and Central Asia. C. Ruderalis is typically less than two feet tall, may be unbranched, has smooth, hollow stems, and small, wide leaflets, and readily sheds mature achenes, which possess a characteristic fleshy abscission layer at their base. Most famously, Ruderalis is regarded as the source of auto-flowering genetics in cannabis. Auto-flowering strains don't require short days, less than 12 hours to flower, as do most cannabis strains. Regardless of light cycle, they start to flower as soon as they reach maturity, which is within a few weeks after determination. And a sidebar to the article as well, I can attest to that. <laughs> the auto-flowers that are growing this year have started to sprout flowers after three weeks in the ground, preceded by two or three weeks in the greenhouse. The flowers are coming. Let's get back to the article. Land races, the root of all good. When farmers allow natural pollination and collect the seed to their crops, then plant them the following year, and repeat this process over time, heirloom varieties are developed. This was standard practice until the modern era. Heirloom varieties are somewhat the result of natural selection. Environmental pressures such as rainfall amounts, temperatures, humidity levels, and hours of sunlight per day, along with biological pressures such as pathogens and herbivorous animals, determine the viability of individual plants in their environment. Plants with characteristics that allow them to best cope with these pressures will, on average, produce more pollen and seeds than lesser fit plants. Therefore, heirloom varieties are well adapted to their local conditions. When farmers trade heirloom seeds regionally, and continue the process of collecting seeds for subsequent crops, land races are developed. Within a land race, plants share common characteristics, but also maintain a level of genetic diversity. Cannabis land races are the foundation of modern hybrids. Notable examples of land races include Afghani, Durban Poison, Jamaican, Colombian Gold, Panama Red, and Thai. Classic Breeding Products In the 1960s and 70s, the majority of the marijuana sold in the United States was grown outdoors. According to researchers, cannabis breeding in the United States for the purpose of producing high THC strains that finished early enough for North American outdoor cultivation began in the early 1960s. Northern Mexico and Jamaican strains were quicker to finish flowering, but were moderate in potency. Breeders crossed, i.e. hybridized these strains with more potent, longer-flowering Panamanian, Colombian, and Thai strains, and then selectively inbred the hybrids to create the famous outdoor sativas of the 1970s, including Original Haze and Maui Waui. Inbreeding involves selecting male and female sibling plants exhibiting desirable characteristics and pollinating the females using the males. With careful selection, inbreeding for several generations will produce a homogenized line, in which all of the plants exhibit the desired traits. Homogenized lines are referred to as stabilized or true breeding because successive generations of inbreeding maintain the distinctive characteristics of the strain. Skunk, 
Number 1. Perhaps the most famous inbred line of all time is skunk number 1. During the mid to late 70s, traveling cannabis enthusiasts brought Afghani landrace strains to California. Breeders there found that Afghanica plants hybridized well with the tall, lanky sativas in the underground scene in Northern California and used inbreeding to stabilize a hybrid of Afghani, Colombian gold, and Acapulco gold to create skunk number one, which it offered to the public in its first seed catalog in 1981. Skunk number one quickly became the most popular strain in California thanks to its sweet flavor and soaring high. In 1982, California police shut down sacred seeds, but one of its breeders, Sam the Skunk Man, managed to salvage the prized genetics. Northern Lights is another classic strain, which has led to numerous sensational breeding projects. Originating in the Pacific Northeast, Northern Lights is thought to be an inbred line of pure Afghanica. It was introduced to the Dutch cannabis scene via the work of the late legend Neville Schoenmakers, founder of the Seed Bank of Holland. Schoenmakers made various NL crosses and back crosses, such as NL number 5 plus haze, NL number 5 plus skunk number 1, silver pearl and hash plant plus NL number 1. In 1991, Schoenmakers sold the Seed Bank of Holland to Sensi Seeds. Sensi Seeds currently offers a seed form of Northern Lights, which it created through extensive back crossing of three original Northern Lights variants. Sensi Seeds describes the plants as having low odor and the cured buds as having a honey, musk, earthy juniper scent. Blueberry Blueberry by DJ Short is a stabilized Afghani sativa hybrid strain. It has varying tones of sweet berry and a euphoric high. The scent is often like a blueberry pie, and the plants tend to have beautiful bluish-purple hues at harvest. It yields best when grown from seeds, but it can also provide ample harvest from clones. The clones must be well-spaced to get plenty of light to their fan leaves or they will have poor yields. Like many other strains, such as AK-47, blueberry mother plants tend to weakly flower when they're left unpruned for too long. Frequent topping prevents this problem. Finding a Golden Nugget No strain had impacted the cannabis world as significantly as haze, skunk number one, and northern lights. That is, until the advent of OG Kush. It has the strongest flavor of any cannabis variety I've ever tried. It's hard to put a finger on, but once you know the Kush scent, you'll never forget it. Not only does it have a strong flavor, its THC level can be higher than 25%, making it one of the strongest strains in the world. Knowledge of cannabis history is crucial for predicting the future of the plant. Understanding the origins of modern hybrids can also help growers use their resources as effectively as possible. By guiding them in assembling a diverse strain menu, ending choosing strain-specific cultural practices. With improved legal status and a greater public interest than ever before, cannabis is set for a new wave of breeding success stories. The future may bring a revival of breeding for the outdoors, and as rules against shipping loosen, regional specialty strains could develop as were once common. Undoubtedly, indoor, outdoor, and greenhouse cultivation will continue to evolve, aided by technology, research, and a never-before-seen availability of strains. And now, thanks to high times, we all have a better idea of how our modern marijuana has developed over the years and who knows where it's going to go to in the future. As usual, if you have any comments about anything that you hear on the Cannabis Podcast or you have an idea for somebody to interview or you have a strain that you think I should explore, although it wouldn't hurt if you send me a little coin because I'm earning a little low and 
I had not forgotten about chocolate fondue. I will, I will review it one day. Um, my bank account's just a little shy right now, and I, I have to wait to do that one. But as usual, you'll find all the links to the stories we talked about today at CannabisPodcast.com. And you can always contact me at info at CannabisPodcast.com. And that wraps it up for episode 48 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.